So we're going to read a story about Jesus helping Peter to get some restoration in his life. And it's a larger passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to take it in bite-sized portions. This is going to be kind of like, has anybody ever gone to like teppanyaki Japanese restaurant where they kind of just, they cook a bit and then they feed it to you and then they cook a bit and then they feed it to you and then they cook a bit and then they feed it to you and then they cook a bit. And we're already in the $150 zone by the third wave. And then they cook a bit, and then they feed it to you. That's $200, uh, not including tip. But they're doing the smack, smack, and slappy slap, and there's fire, and it's a great show. So we're going to try to do that, but without the flames this morning. But the title of the message today is Gone Fishing, and it's about that period of time between when Jesus has come back from the dead and he's beginning to help his disciples get used to the fact that he's been raised from the dead. Because that's one of those things that's hard for people mentally to adjust from, having been to someone's funeral and then getting used to them being alive again and suddenly appearing out of nowhere and stuff. That mentally takes some time to readjust your view of reality. And so Jesus is, is doing that work of changing his disciples' experience of reality to include the Son of God back from the dead. And this is the third time he's going to do this. And as you remember the story, the overview is that Peter takes some of his friends fishing and Jesus shows up to them and cooks them breakfast. And then they have a discussion about whether or not Peter really loves Jesus. And then Jesus commissions Peter to spend the rest of his life following Jesus. But there's a little bit of background that you need to know about. And that would be this passage. Before Jesus died, he was teaching his disciples for a while that this had to happen. Jesus needed to die. He needed to be crucified. Jesus was on mission from the Father because the world's just deeply broken. Anybody look back over the last three years, headlines, news, Taiwan, Ukraine, lockdowns, your life, and just say, this is the best of all possible worlds? Would you say everything's great? No, in our heads, as we live life, we often think like, everything's pretty good, and just a few tweaks, and then I can have my best life now, right? And then the brokenness of the universe and the power of sin and the strength of evil and the catastrophe of suffering comes smashing back into our reality and kind of breaks us of the delusion we've had. You know, Jesus has been, was trying to tell them here, I've come to die for the sins of the world and to restart creation and to invade with the kingdom so that this reality that God has always wanted, a people dwelling with him in peace and joy forever, can happen. But the cost was Jesus coming and dying. And so he was about to go and do this. And uh, they have Peter and, and Jesus have this little interaction beforehand. And Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. He's talking about about his death. I'm going to go die now, you're going to die later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so here's Peter's believed reality. I am so committed to Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I am willing to die for you. Why could you say you're going to go somewhere and I can't follow? I will die to stay with you. And Jesus is like, before a rooster crows, tomorrow morning, or two days from now morning, you're going to be telling everybody around you, you've never even met me. So this is the background, and it happened. It happened. So here's my little pitch for trusting the Bible this morning. When Jesus is talking, it happens. When Jesus speaks, he's telling you the truth. Even if he's telling you things about yourself you don't want to believe, it's true. That was Peter's case here. And he absolutely fulfilled Jesus' word here. He didn't know his own heart yet. But it's a catastrophe for Peter. Of course it's a catastrophe for Peter. Of course it's a catastrophe for Peter. If you're anything like me, you can kind of deal with the fact that there are bad things around you, and you can kind of deal with the fact that there are bad people around you. But it is so hard to deal with the fact that you're a bad person. Right? I can believe there's sin in the world. I watch politics. I can believe there's sin in other people's hearts because I know how much it bugs me when they're sinning. But me being the problem, me being a sinner, I don't want to believe it. And how devastating when you find out it's true. True? Is it just me? Why am I even up here? (laughs) So Peter's obviously devastated. Well, Jesus has come back from the dead, and he needs to deal with this. He needs to deal with what happened before he died with Peter. There we go. Chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Pause. Imagine finding out you're one of those two disciples that doesn't get named. Like, you were there! And they gloss over you. Humble pie, served up fresh. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So I'm not totally sure, because you're kind of reading into things, but I believe the Bible tells its stories in such a way that we can kind of understand what's going on. And so I'm wondering what is going on in Peter's head here. And looking at all the data, I think what's going on is that Peter's in the gone fishing zone. Because... He knows Jesus is back from the dead. He would know that Jesus had commissioned him to do some work. He's supposed to be, you know, telling the whole world about Jesus, right? They were told this. And Peter decides, knowing that Jesus is coming back, and he's beginning to understand it's true, and he's met Jesus twice already, as far as I know, or at least Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples a few times. 
he decides it's time to go start a church. Wait, he decides it's time to go plan his first mission trip. He decides it's time to go fishing. Now, this is a little bit different because when it's summer and you live in Southeast Manitoba, fishing is always a good idea. And if you get an opportunity to preach on Sunday and you know there's people who own fishing boats in the audience and you begin to do that manipulative pastor thing where you talk about how long it's been since you've gone fishing and how much you love just going to Lake of the Woods and spending the whole day out there and you're willing to pay for gas and let the people have the fish, all the fish you catch all day, they can still keep it. If you get that opportunity, I would say, don't do it. That's gross relationally. And everyone will know what you're up to. They will know. And they won't send you emails, but it will cost you. But for Peter, this is, I think, just a journey of going back to what he knows. What's familiar? What's comfortable? What do I understand? When was the last time I felt in charge of my life? When was the last time I felt like this was my business? I think that's what's going on here. Because Peter knows that Jesus is alive. Peter knows that Jesus is back. Peter knows that there's good stuff going on. But in his heart, he's not... There's something broken still. And so he's going to go fishing. Because for him, even though going out on a sea in the night is a place where you literally can die, it still felt more comfortable and safe and predictable. Maybe than facing what happened the evening before Jesus was arrested. But, in God's mercy... God doesn't let the gone fishing aspect turn out great. They're out all night, and it sucks. Because there's no fish. Have you ever kind of been there? You believe in Jesus. You love him. But something happened in life, and you just don't trust life. So you're kind of going to pull back and you're kind of going to do your own thing and you're kind of going to go find somewhere that feels normal and you're kind of going to go do something that feels safe and you know it's not quite working. And maybe that's the kindness of the Lord to not let it just work. Because you've gone fishing. Maybe it is the kindness of the Lord that things don't work out the way you want sometimes. Because then Jesus gets to show up.
This is the moment in the sermon when you talk about things not working out, and then you try to press a button, and it doesn't work. (laughs) Because I know everything I preach, God wants me to learn more and faster than everybody else here, which is fine. Do you know the Bible actually says not many of you should want to be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly? It's so true. It's so true. My life is way more painful than if I never did this. Oh well. Just as the day was breaking. See, John is a a good script writer. He knows that when Jesus shows up, you want to help people understand this is a movement from darkness to light. So he doesn't just say Jesus showed up. He wants to emphasize that these guys have been laboring in the dark for hours and it hasn't been working. And just as the sun rises up, Jesus rides up like a cowboy in the sunrise which is a good way to do it if you're starting a battle because then people can't look at you because they go blind staring at the sun. So just as the sun is rising, the guy who made the sun shows up and Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And I don't know if this was a mystical experience or just they're all nearsighted and they're living in a time when there are no glasses. You know, you never know the details. Verse 5, and Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. Pause for a second. This is awesome. So humbling. Okay, grown men in the midst of doing the job that you're good at. Do you like it when people come up to you and call you child? Hey, boy. So it's a little bit like tweak the pride there just a little bit. And Jesus, of course, he knows. He knows that he's held his thumb on the no fish button all night for them, so to speak. You know, he's been holding the red light. They've been sitting at the intersection on Main Street at Steinbeck for six hours waiting for the light to turn green because they're rule followers and they can't go through because they know there's going to be a cop right behind them out of nowhere. And they're sitting at the red light. It's been six hours at the red light and it's not turning green. And then Jesus shows up and said, so you're still here, eh? Got any fish? Like, just salt the wound. Salt, 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 salt in the wound. (laughs) It's so good. It's a good thing he loves us. And they answered him, no. Ah, now it's time to change things. You know, so often in life, things start to change as soon as we acknowledge the reality to Jesus. The real, real reality. Amen? How's fishing going? They, had, they could have done it. So good. <laughs> this is the fishing I wanted to do. I didn't actually want to catch any fish. I'm just trying out some new nets. Really important to me. Didn't want to get them gross and sticky. It's a bunch of jackfish. So I love this kind of fishing. You know, they could have hidden it. They could have been proud. They said no. As soon as the truth comes out, things start to change. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. There's probably something familiar starting to happen here. They've been here before. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which was kind of John's way of referring to himself, 
therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. I love reading this story a little bit because John's the first one to realize what's going on. Peter's the first one to do something about it. Again, this is kind of their personalities coming out. John is more perceptive. Peter Peter shoots first and asks questions later. He's that kind of guy. So he jumps in the water. Which is, again, he, he loves Jesus. But he's kind of been hiding from Jesus. And Jesus is coming to get him. And they're going to have this reality check, okay? So this keeps coming up to me whenever I'm prepping sermons, this idea of reality checks. Most of our problems in life are the fact that we're not living in reality. Remember EC's up here singing, we sang that song about our identity. Most of the weird stuff we do as Christians is because we're not in the reality of who we are in Christ. Most of the time we're reaching out for stuff or fighting about stuff as we've forgotten the reality of who we are, so... Jesus is in the job of helping people understand reality. So here they are. Go to the next slide. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A few more thoughts about this. This is, this is like one of the only times that I have ever heard about where there's this elephant in the room and it's a good thing. You guys know white elephants in the room, right? Where everybody knows that, that guy's just shot himself with a nail gun. I'm sorry for using that example, but it's come up a lot in the last week. I'm not really why. Shot himself with a nail gun. He's got a nail in the leg, and his jeans are turning all purple and with the blood. And he doesn't want to talk about it, you know? And you have family issues like that where somebody's really broken, and their brokenness is showing up at Christmas, and nobody's talking about it. It's usually really bad. But here's this one time where Jesus is like doing grandma in the kitchen on the seashore. And I, and I just wonder, he's got bread. And where'd the bread come from? Did, did he, was he wandering around? Was he at some village recently? Can I buy some flour? <laughs> he'd just be like, bread. And you know when he was tempted in the desert that one time to turn stone into bread and it was a bad thing to do that time? Was it a good thing to do this time? Where he's like, eh, this rock sucks. You turn it into bread. Boom, bread. And he's, you know, cooking. Where did he get the flour from? And he's already got fish. Maybe he was out there walking on water, hiding behind the boat, and just say, hey, fish, jump, and whoo. Who knows? So many fun things to think about. But he's there on the seashore, and he's already got things going, and he doesn't say a word about who he is. He's like, breakfast. 
For me, the idea of fish for breakfast is not that appealing. Anybody? I'm sure they liked it, you know. Some people like to eat rancid whale blubber. God bless them in it. Somebody needs to. Not my favorite idea. I just love this awesome scene where God has been generous with these guys, filled up their nets to the point where they it shouldn't have worked. Okay, the nets should have been broken. That's why they talk about the nets not being torn. They go from zero to bounty in a second, and they bring the fish ashore. And Jesus already has the food they need, and he says, "Oh yeah, you can bring some of your fish too, and they're going to eat together." And it's weird. It's like he's inviting his disciples into his, well, feast mode. But the thing you can really sense about Jesus here is he's really not stressed out at all, is he? He's not worried about anything. He's not stressed out about anything. He's not mad at anybody. This is like the Psalm 23, but with fish. And I think the disciples just need to meet Jesus like that. Because if you're in Peter's mind frame, you're assuming that, that God's pretty ticked. And maybe someday you'll do something so that you have the confidence to go and make things right with God. But here's Jesus making Peter come to him, but showing him he's already in feast mode. He's already got the generosity thing going towards Jesus before they have dealt with the relational damage of Peter denying Jesus. And he just lets it sink in. While the fish is cooking, he lets it sink in. While the bread is cooking, he lets it sink in. While they're eating, he lets it sink in. He just lets the peace sink in. And I think maybe the point is to let Peter know that Jesus wants to be at peace with Peter way more than Peter needs to be at peace with Jesus. And that was the point of the cross. God won on the cross everything that we need to be at peace with God 2,000 years before you breathed. Before your first sin you ever did, God won the peace that we would have with him forever through Jesus' death and resurrection, and he's been in feast mode ever since. So come home. Come home. Wherever Jesus is, is home. Jesus meets you on the beach, that's home. Jesus meets you at Calvary, it's home. Jesus meets you in your RV trailer on holidays, it's home. Wherever Jesus is, that's our home. And he brings his peace with him for us. Amen? It's going to be okay, Christian.
come home. Be at home. Be at home with Jesus, Christian. Or, if you're not in yet with Jesus, this is what it's like. He brings his peace with him, and he brings his peace for you. You're not going to spend the rest of your life trying to feed Jesus with your good deeds, with your getting it right, with your cleaning yourself up. You're going to spend the rest of your life with Jesus taking care of you. Jesus helping you clean up. Jesus helping you change. He's in feast mode. He's got all authority in heaven and earth to do good, to do us good, to fix things. It's a good deal. Just in case there's anybody here who isn't in with Jesus yet, do you want to put up your hand if you are in with Jesus and it's a good deal? Okay. I didn't make anybody do this. I know they're like, there's a video. But no, it's, it is a really good deal to be in with Jesus. He knows how to take care of us. It's not easy. It's hard. Sometimes it's harder. Some things are easier. It's a really good deal to be with Jesus. All right. Now this interaction here, did you know I have a fishing story I've been wanting to tell all morning and I can't fit it in? It's really funny. Just tell it anyway. Let's, okay, before we get, get before we get serious, here's my fishing story. It does fit in a little bit. So I only ever went fishing uh, with my dad in a little little 15 foot boat with a nine and a half horsepower engine. So for me, fishing sounds like this. And anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what fishing sounds like. Until you snag on a tree and think you've caught the big one, and then, no. But one time on holidays, this was a few years ago, we were we rented a little cabin at St. Malo, and they had these aqua bikes. Has anybody used an aqua bike before? It's these like three really fat tires that hold air that... It looks like a tricycle, and you can go out on the water with it. And I had a fishing rod, and I think it was a fishing rod I actually got from my dad after he passed away. And so I was on this, like, this, this mission of fulfillment. You know, I've got my dad's old rod, and I've got to go catch something, because then I would be a man. You know, that kind of thing. We all deal with this. You do too. You know it. And even if you don't, I'm going to think that you do so I can feel normal. Most of my life is just the desire to feel normal. But then I'm me, and so I mess it up. Anyhow, so I'm out on an aqua bike on the lake at St. Malo, which I found out is only like eight feet deep. So if you're going to be on an aqua bike, it's a good lake to be on because you like literally, you know, it's only eight feet deep. So you'll be okay. But I was out on a bike and it was really beautiful because a rain came in and it was one of those windless rains. So you could just hear the sound of rain on a perfectly flat lake, which is one of the best sounds in the universe. It absolutely is. It's this cross between like rain but it also sounds like hissing and then I had my big gross old Tilly hat on so it sounded like drumming on the rim and the hiss of the rain it was gorgeous but I'm on this aqua bike with a fishing rod casting out and I caught uh, a jackfish or what it, what's the real name for those things a pike okay good so those disgusting fighters that you would never want to meet as a, another fish in the water because they're the fish equivalent of a lion on a lot of catnip. So but I hooked into one and I found out that those things can swim harder than I can pedal. <laughs> and so I'm doing this thing 
where I'm pedaling backwards on the aqua bike because it's pulling me into the reeds and I'm reeling in and pedaling backwards. And I'm sure in my head it looked, I thought I looked kind of cool and heroic, but I probably looked about as coordinated as a bunch of Calvary Chapel people being led by Island Breeze during something. <laughs> Scoop and back. Do it for the Lord. Scoop and back. And then, you know, I just... That's when it's like, I'm glad I sat in the back where it's not online and you're good. And so trying to reel forwards and pedal back and getting pulled around. And uh, I got it near the aqua bike and I had one of those five foot long nets to try to net it. You know what I'm talking about? So I got a rod in one hand and a net in the other and I'm pedaling and I reached and I dropped the rod in. And so suddenly I'm net fishing for the rod instead of fish fishing with the rod. And I managed to get the rod back without dying, though I really thought I was going to for a bit. And the whole time I'm thinking, don't let Jackie be watching. It's a really small lake. Don't let Jackie be watching. It's a really small lake. I don't want to talk about this. I want to tell my version of the story, which is a good story. And I don't want any like eyeballs contradicting my facts, my truth. (laughs) And then right when I got it to the boat and it was like this, like it was... You know, you can never tell because the water distorts when the light passes through. It refracts at a different angle, which always takes about three or four feet off the size of the fish. And so it got away. That was my story that I wanted to insert subtly somewhere into the message. So now I had to do it non-subtly. Anyhow, here they are having breakfast. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And again, this is one of the things about Jesus that I just love. I love how dynamic he is. I love how unpredictable he is because he goes from just feeding people and not talking about anything to probably the most intimate question of anyone's life you could ask. Like, just imagine you're sitting on a bus with somebody or on an airplane. Everyone's just just in their, their iPod world where they got their headsets. Hey, you take your iPods in. Yeah, they take it out. So do you love God? You know, it's just from nothing to level a zillion. But it's, it's God himself sitting at the meal. But this is the reality, guys. This is the most important question of your life. And it always has been, and it always will be. Jesus standing before you, so do you love me? This, this is our life. Jesus is God. He made us. He made us for himself. And we do a lot. <laughs> and we have to do a lot. And we have a lot of relationships and we're in history and there's a lot of good things and there's a lot of bad things and there's a lot of hard things and you're part of church. Anybody here been a part of church for over 50 years? Okay, over 60 years. You know, 30 years. Okay, so you know everything, right? And you've been here before. Everything is nothing compared to the Lord Jesus asking you the question. So do you love me? 
It's the biggest question of your life. Just God saying, your heart, your heart, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. And it's just crazy because Peter is hurt by the third question. But of course, we know as Bible readers that Jesus wanted to get Peter to say that he loved him as many times as Peter had said he didn't even know him. And I'm sure Peter figured it out afterwards. But in the moment, he's just, ah, Jesus, ask me questions. I'm still drying off and the fish isn't sitting right. And, ah. But this persistence in Jesus to get Peter to hear himself say, I do love you, Jesus, and to hear Jesus say back to him, I've got good work for you to do. Even to the point of hurting Peter to get the truth into his heart. Of grieving him. This is, this is one of the ways I know that Jesus is different than me. I don't like saying things that hurt people's feelings. Anybody else like me? It's very Canadian of us. I don't think our brothers and sisters self of the border struggle with this as much as we do. It's super Canadian of us. Jesus is not Canadian. He's true and a lover of souls. And so he asks Peter. He wants Peter to say he loves him as many times as he said he didn't love him. And hear from Jesus, I've got good work for you to do. Even to the point of making it extremely uncomfortable. And what I want to say to you this morning, every brother and sister, every Christian, every person here, if you love Jesus, and I believe you do, you need to know that Jesus wants to totally bring you into a place where you are not hiding from him in anything. That you're fully serving him. That you're fully working with him. Not so that you can slave for him, but because that's what you were made for. Peter was not made to be a fisherman anymore. He wasn't a fisherman anymore. He wasn't a fisherman anymore. He could still do it, but Peter had called him to be a shepherd, a feeder of sheep, a carer of lambs. He called him, and the reason Peter thought he was supposed to be a fisherman is because he knew he had betrayed the Lord. He still loved him, but he had a reason to count himself out. And Jesus is saying there are no valid reasons to count yourself out anymore. There are no valid reasons to count yourself out when Jesus loves you and you love him. There are no valid hurts. He can deal with the hurts. And there are no valid failures. He can forgive the failures. There's no valid reasons to sit in the pew and not be on fire for the Lord who loves you. Says Jesus. It's true for you. It's true for you. It's true for you. It's true for you. There is no past a Christian can have that's a good reason 
to not be doing everything Jesus wants you to do. Sometimes you got to deal with stuff. Sometimes there's a path for reconciliation, restoration, but there is no valid excuse anymore to tell the one who loves you, who died for you and came back from the dead for you, I'm going to ride the brakes. I want to go fishing. And maybe there's even been some discomfort in your life lately, and it is Jesus trying to get your attention to say, get all in with me because I'm all in with you. He's all in. He's all in. He's all in. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Island Breeze, get them to dance like this. I don't want to be alone anymore. (laughs) And so the calling is this, to get into the altar zone. Jesus said to Peter after this, Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then John, the gospel writer, adds, this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God, which he was going to be martyred for Jesus, which happened. And after this, he said to him, follow me. And I think it's so amazing because Peter's great failure was he said, I want to die for you, Jesus. And then he didn't. And then Jesus comes back from the dead, betrayed by Peter's failure, and says, you know what, someday you will die for me, Peter. It ain't going to be now. And I do wonder a bit psychologically, imagine if Jesus told you, (laughs) hey, you're going to get martyred. Would you find that comforting? I don't know. But you hear these words, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Do you love me? Yes. Okay, follow me. Do you love me? Yes. Follow me. Do you love me? Okay, this is another interaction section. I'm going to close my eyes, so I'm not going to watch. Christian, do you love Jesus? Why don't you tell him? Do you love him? Follow him. Christian, do you love Jesus? Feed his lambs and follow him. Christian, do you love Jesus? Then say yes to the calling Jesus has given on your life and follow him. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. I'm going to pray for us while they get ready. Lord Jesus, I just know this morning that you know the heart of every single person here. And Father, we just want to submit to you every single excuse, whether it's personal failure, feeling like we had committed ourselves to overcoming something or getting free from something, never going back someplace that we were before you called us, and then we did it. We did the one thing we'd set up as the thing that we were going to never do again to show our love for you or show your work in our life, and then we failed it. 
or somebody hurt us or something happened and now we feel too ashamed to even go and do what you've called us to do because we don't want to get in front of people who all know our failures. And here you are this morning saying, I love you. And I'm all that matters and I'm all you need. I can take you from empty nets to tearing nets in one minute. I'm enough and I've got you. So if you want me this morning, I'm yours. And it's time to follow me. And so Lord, deal with every single regret, every single thought that robs us from full-hearted following you. And Lord, make us to feel your love through the presence of the Holy Spirit and our deep joy in the Lord. And all God's people said,